Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts. They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy. You know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today. He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and empowered and safe. Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. (laughs) All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms. All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started. Hi, welcome to the Financial Foresight Podcast. We have the whole crew together again today. And with that, Ian has a great topic from a recent um, article to talk about long-term care. Ian, do you want to kick us off and have a conversation around long-term care? Yeah, so I was actually reading an article this weekend about the long-term care industry in general, and it made me realize that we haven't really taken a whole lot of time to cover long-term care on this podcast. And that's normal. We're like 12 episodes in, right? So, But we haven't covered all the financial planning topics. But as it turns out, whether you need long-term care because you're a little bit older in life or whether you have parents who need long-term care, you're probably going to experience this little corner of the medical industry at some point. So I thought it would be a good topic for us to take some time to discuss. Um, Most Americans will encounter it in some form. So as a result, one of the one of the things I'll start off with is a, a couple of statistics on long-term care. So the first is a statistic on how much care will you need. And 69% of Americans, according to the Administration on Aging, which is uh, longtermcare.acl.gov, will need some form of long-term care. And the average number of years people use this type of care is three years. Okay, so that's saying that a large majority of Americans are going to need long term care. And then if you look at the national average cost of long term care by going to genworth.com slash aging slash you and finances, and we'll, we'll include the link. Um, home health care costs about four thousand dollars a month. Adult daycare costs about fifteen sixty a month and assisted living facilities are another four thousand a month. And then the costs scale up from there if you want semi-private rooms, private rooms, those things. So what we're able to figure out is that long-term care is expensive, right? And a lot of people are going to need it. That's kind of the proof that we're going to start this off with. And there are quite a few ways to address it. So as financial planners, we thought it would be a good idea to take some time to talk about these insurance solutions. Um, Before we get going, do you guys have any thoughts on long-term care? I mean, it's a really difficult thing to to talk about honestly i mean besides you know having the conversation of death i think even the worst conversation is just envisioning yourself in a position where you're unable to care uh, for your own well-being um so it it is definitely a topic that uh probably should be discussed more and i would say probably like a lot of other insurance products you know can sometimes be used for uh maybe evil instead of good. So there's a lot of twists and turns in navigating the topic. And when I'm talking with my clients, a lot of times I'll say there's really only three ways at the bottom line that we can address this. You're either going to uh, end up paying for an expensive insurance policy that you may or may not need. You are either going to self-fund yourself 
or you're going to eventually run out of assets and potentially have to look into some type of, of government uh, supplements or you know, Medicaid policy or Medic- Medicaid uh, care. Uh, and, and that's kind of the three routes that, that usually you end up addressing. And every situation is completely different. So there really is no uh, rule of thumb, maybe. I mean, maybe there's some directions that uh, you could say a general uh, portion of the population should probably consider. But that's, that's kind of how I, I start the conversation, which, again, isn't the most fun topic. Yeah. It, it's not great um, it, it, because long-term care is kind of complicated. So let, let's start off by talking about what qualifies you for long-term care policies. So long-term care policies are qualified by two of the six activities of daily living. And those, two, those six activities of daily living are eating, bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring, or maintaining continence. So if you can't perform two of those things on your own, you now qualify for a long-term care policy. You can also qualify for a long-term care policy through medical, or um, I'm sorry, mental impairment, but mental impairment is things like Alzheimer's, dementia, those sorts of things. So if you qualify for a long-term care policy, the next question is, do I have a long-term care policy? And if you're listening to this and this is the first time you've heard about long-term care, the answer is probably no, right? So let's talk about what those things look like. There are unfortunately a lot of different structures for long-term care policies. Some of the older traditional ones have fallen out of favor because their premiums have had to go up a lot. Basically, long story short, insurance companies mispriced these in the 80s and 90s, and they're suffering because of it, because interest rates went down and the utilization of these policies went up and they paid out a lot more money than they were expecting to. But if you find a traditional long-term care policy, what you're going to know is that you'll pay a monthly amount or an annual amount for a stated benefit when you trigger your long-term care. So it might be $200 a day that you get provided care for. And those will reimburse you for that care and you'll be able to, um, to use those funds. Now, there are also long-term care life insurance hybrid policies that are basically life insurance policies, but you can access the death benefit for long-term care. And there are annuity hybrid policies, which are annuities that have higher payout rates usually for long-term care services. Any questions on those, my other financial planning friends, since I'm a little bit of a long-term care specialist? No, I think there's a lot of mis understanding of long-term care and as you kind of touched on it there's the traditional policies that i've had people share horror stories where they've paid for years and years and years it keeps going up and then when they go to file claims it's like oh this doesn't count because of xyz and then those -hmm. people swear off long-term care forever and after you know swearing and venting for like 20 minutes they come back and say they'll never buy a policy and they don't see the, the benefit the one thing that i would say is when you look at spending especially into retirement Healthcare is up there as one of the leading uh, categories, depending on what source you want to pull it from. You know, it's up there. If you look at inflation or the cost of of healthcare, it's up there with like education. So think about college and how you know expensive college continues to be for those out there. Uh, healthcare costs are really really expensive. And a stat that uh, Lincoln Financial, which has a long term care policy, had put out was you know one out of every two Americans turning sixty five will need long-term care at some point in their life. So it's gonna impact, you know, if you have parents or you, you and your spouse turn 65 together, one of the two of you are gonna need it. And it's an easy way to spend down a lot of money that's been saved for years. 
I've heard numbers of 8,000, 5,000, you know, plus per month for care, assisted living. Um, you look at those type of situations and that's, you know, close to $100,000 and it's not hard on top of everything else that someone has to really wreck uh, a lot of years of saving and compounding from, from that standpoint, from an investment piece. Well, and I think too, from a planning perspective is a few things, not just the financial, but one of it is most people want to age in their home, age in place. Um, and so rather than going to a nursing home or assisted living, um, so then you have to bring those people in. And a lot of times that, that ends up falling in on the, you know, the children, um, or the grandchildren, because if you're 90, um, your children could be 60 or 65. Um, so, you know, you start kind of doing the math on some of this and that can be a pretty big burden on them as well. So being able to have those, uh, long-term care policies, or at least having a plan in place of what are we going to do when something happens um, is something to really think about. Because again, you don't want to necessarily have to automatically say, okay, we're going to go to uh, go to nursing home or go to assisted living. And, um, and I don't remember all the statistics. I could try to find some of them. But in a previous life, I was working for a consulting company that did uh, a lot of consulting with healthcare companies um, around aging, um, and things like that. And just in terms of like what your life expectancy is once you go to a nursing home or go to assisted living. Um, and most of the statistics are like, Hey, you really want to be able to stay at home as long as you possibly can. So. Right. But at the same time, while you want to be able to stay at home, you also want that to be funded by something because you don't want to have to necessarily tell your kids, well, I need you to take off work to take care of me. So not only are you going to spend all your time taking care of a parent, which is really hard, but you also then are losing an income or at least part of an income if they're taking off half of their day job or something. And, and that's rough. That's really rough on the household, both from a mental stress perspective and from a financial perspective. So um, that, that can be very difficult. So I also wanted to take a second to clear up one of the common misconceptions around long-term care, which is that Medicare will help you pay for it. Uh, Medicare covers 90 days of assisted living through um, through nursing facilities, and it's called 90 days skilled nursing facility benefit. Medicaid covers long-term care. However, to qualify for Medicaid, you have to have almost no assets, and you can't really transfer them to your family members to meet that definition because Medicaid has a rule in place called the transfer penalty where if you transfer an asset within five years of filing your claim for Medicaid, it looks back and attempts to recapture that asset from that family member or makes you spend it down before you can enter Medicaid. So, so say that again, it's five years? It's five years. So even so if you're you, thinking about this, you'd have to give up control of that asset a pretty good long time. Six years in advance. Right. Yeah. So, so you either have to do some very, very thought forward planning or you have to spend all of your money, which can greatly impact your spouse, right? Because just because you need long-term care assistance doesn't mean your spouse does. And so they may not be able to stay in their home either in these sorts of things. It can be very, very dramatic. So hopefully none of you guys are in that situation, our listeners, but if you ever are, just know that those are the rules. And in order to have government-assisted long-term care insurance, you have to have less than $2,000 of assets. And also thinking about just having the decision of where you want to go. If you're going to get government assistance, they're not picking the nicest locations for you to go. It's usually going to be somewhere fairly cheap, uh, inexpensive 
frugal, let's call it, um, not somewhere that you want to spend a lot of time. And back to yeah. Dwight's point on how much longer you're going to be able to live, the quality of living, uh, especially in the later years. Like you, you want someone, especially you think about you know family members, you want them to to age gracefully and not have to go through situations where they're not taken care of. And um, that's just something to think about as well. So is there is there any like rules of thumb to think about um, in terms of when the right time is to start thinking about this? Um, uh, or maybe, hey, are you too old? Like, you know, I know with like life insurance, term insurance, it's, you know, pretty much impossible to get when you're 90. So... Yeah. Um, so when you're when you're looking at age age ranges, you really want to have your long term care insurance in place before you hit 60, in my opinion, because that's when the prices really start to get astronomical. That doesn't mean if you're 62, don't look for it. But if you could handle it before that 60 years cut off, it'll definitely be more beneficial for you because you'll have time on your side in, ter- in terms of premium costs. What if you're 30? If you're 30, it might be a little too early, depending on what type of long-term care insurance you're getting. The life long-term care hybrids might be a valuable source for you, but the annuities or the traditional long-term care policies and definitely continuous care retirement communities are not going to be useful to you at that point in time. You're too young. They don't want to hear from you yet. Dwight, I know there's at least one hybrid policy that's really strong, and they won't underwrite anyone under the age of 40, but Mm -hmm. there is another one that's similar, not quite as strong. And they will go down to like 35 because hmm. in a previous life I had a client that money was really not an issue and their her mother had really serious issues uh, early on in life and so that was something with young children that she wanted to get paid up and was looking at that at a young age i think she was 36 or 37 looking at just paying up for it so that she would have it in the future regardless of what happened so so that's a really good question too. So have you guys seen any situations in terms of somebody buying long-term care for a parent? It's done. I mean, yeah, I've, I've had that happen. The funny part is they're going to pay for it one way or another, <laughs> right? Um, if the, depending on the parent's medical situation, right? If you're, and, and, help, um, and financial. So if your parent can't afford long-term care, you're either going to pay for it with time by helping take care of them or you're going to pay for it with money by helping fund somebody to take care of them or they're getting on Medicaid. So if you don't like uh, the other two scenarios of you taking care of them or them going on Medicaid, you're probably going to end up paying for it in some way, shape or form. So buying the insurance is a way of front loading a lot of that cost or leveraging the money a little better. And then another thing to think about is a a 1035 exchange. So if you did get sold, let's say, a cash value life insurance, you kicked yourself, but you kept paying for it, you don't need the life insurance anymore. You can exchange that for a hybrid policy. I have done that. I actually did that for my father. He didn't need a a whole life policy. It was small, but uh, very healthy, knew he would need it in retirement. And for what they wanted for their goals, it, it made sense to protect him into the future where, you know, he's extremely healthy at, you know, 64, 65. So he was able to use a chunk of it and pay for basically half the policy. And then he can have the rest paid up before he really does enter retirement. Yeah. What would you guys say to someone who said, why would I continue trying to, uh, you know, save for retirement, like so viciously, like, you know, I want to have enough, obviously, that I can maintain my current standard of living. But I really don't want to be saving above and beyond that for uh, additional medical expenses because I'll just 
you know, liquidate all my assets anyways, and the government will take care of me. Um, what kind of planning? I mean, you know, it, it sounds like, it, you know, it's almost like a fr- or the alternative would be to buy an expensive life insurance policy that maybe or maybe you won't use. Um, I mean, I, I have my own opinions uh, as far as like just uh, bandwagoning off of society and, you know, destruction of the commons here. But what are what are you guys' thoughts maybe from just a planning perspective or I don't know, just comments in general? I'll start. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, that's fine. It's good to have those stop gaps to kind of, you know, it, for society to say, hey, the government can step in or maybe it can or can't. But I like having options. Um, so the more options, uh, you know, a client can have or anybody can have, I think that just puts you in a much better position. So, you know, if you're 50, 55 and you might not have to go on to uh, long term care, uh, to later on in life, you know, who knows, we don't know what it's going to look like in 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, but I just rather have options than not. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take on it. Um, and then I guess just from more of a planning piece in terms of using the tool, um, I've seen some options where you can do dual policies, you know, on joint lives and, um, and kind of do some planning around that. So that way maybe the price comes down or you can, uh, do different things with the benefits. So it's not just a either or. So, um, you know, there's, there are things out there that can be done, but again, options are typically your friend. I would just piggyback on what Ian said. I mean, do you want to be a burden to, you know, children or other generations or other Mm -hmm. family members and you need to address and be responsible for yourself, in my opinion? Um, Yeah, if you have no legacy goals, don't want to leave any money for anyone else, sure, you just spend it all down and and at the end of it, if if you're getting close and you have to go on a government program, great. I've had people, you know, make jokes about often themselves when if they get to that point where they have issues and I don't really think that's funny but I've heard that as that's their plan. So to me, if you can afford to take care of yourself, a lot of times with a hybrid policy, if you don't use it, it can then be passed along. Let's say you just died. I think that's a lot of the concern is, well, what if I don't need it? The hybrid policy still could have a death benefit, small, not really that beneficial, but it's still something that's more than what you paid into the policy. So at least it can be left to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, worst case scenario is you use it, and you are able to leverage the funds that you have for that care, which again, one of two people, if they both turn 65 are gonna need it. That's the stats. And again, that's coming from insurance companies, just like a barber saying, do you need a haircut? They're gonna want to sell this. I get that, but it is real. You see a ton of people moving to assisted living. And if you've talked to anyone in that industry, it is booming. It's huge business because baby boomers, there's more and more retiring every day. They're gonna need it. So. Uh, I think long-term care makes a lot of sense. Well, hey, we've all got auto insurance and homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance, and I don't hope every day that I need to use it. I mean, i got to use my homeowner's insurance right now because I have hail damage. Like, I'm not like, awesome, this thing's paying out. Like, no. we got to replace that ceiling fan clip. I have, anyway. right? <laughs> yeah. So but, I just, I think the same thing. Like, you know, I pay my auto insurance every six months. Like, I don't, I'm not hoping to get into a car wreck. Agreed, agreed. I mean, the the... The other thing is that those aren't all the options, by the way. I I quickly touched on something called CCRC, or Continuous Care Retirement Community, and these are basically assisted living facilities combined with an insurance policy. The idea is that you pay an upfront amount of money to go in, you pay a fee for living there on an ongoing basis, and they provide tons of medical care on site to cover your needs. 
Now, this is a whole different conversation that we would have to spend time talking about because you want to make sure those facilities are financially strong, that they're pricing themselves correctly, and that you can afford them. But that can also be an alternative to paying for an expensive insurance policy is buying into one of those services. Um, so there are all different kinds of options available out there. The important thing is to have the discussion with yourself, with your significant other, if you have one, and with whoever financially is helping you. Because as it turns out, if you don't address this, that's when it becomes a problem, right? When you're unaware of what the consequences of you going on long-term care are from a financial perspective, and then they happen, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, then it's too late. Exactly. So I think with that, we will stop harping on people and we'll move on uh, to Tweet of the Week. So our random number generator for this week picked out Isaiah. Isaiah, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I feel like I've talked about Daniel Crosby and and his tweets several times, but the man just puts out... You may or may not be bordering on fanboy. Fire (laughs) tweets. Can we get him on the show? Yeah, I would love to. Um, So his tweet is... The Patagonian toothfish and the Chilean sea bass are the same fish. When labeled as the former, it never sold. When renamed as the latter, it graces the menus of fine dining establishments worldwide. What in your life or business can be reframed to have a similar effect? I like sea bass, and I thought that was hilarious. And Mm -hmm. it's the same thing, like the story of Crown Royal. I don't know if anyone's heard this story. It was cheap, cheap bottle, cheaply made, couldn't sell it. They made it look fancier, put it in a velvet purple bag. Same shit on the inside. Does not taste. Didn't spend any difference. And they marked it up a bunch. Sold it like crazy. People started buying it and their margins like exploded. It's so funny how this like scarcity or it looks a certain way or the name changes everything. Oh, I mean, I can think of countless examples, especially streetwear, like Champion or Supreme. Like Champion was a lower grade than nike sports brand when we were growing up but now they sell their stuff for marked up prices even though it's just a t-shirt or whatever because of the logo so it's pretty cool that's that's a great that's so so up his alley just like we are just behavioral i you know just just (laughs) incredible test subjects because we are just hilarious to watch and the decisions that we make uh us being humans um that's that's great and and i mean i was the first thing i thought that came to my mind was financial advisors i mean there's advisors that just shamelessly will say my fee minimum is ten thousand dollars i don't care if it's aum blah 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 flat fee and you just gotta wonder what are you really getting for that amount of money above and beyond an advisor who's maybe 2500 I mean, I don't mean to open up the can of worms once again of the differences of financial advisors, but um, that was just kind of the first thing that came to my mind, and it's, it's, it's funny how true that is. Yeah, perceived scarcity is a big deal. It's really funny to see the difference in prices of things that are virtually the exact same. Death insurance didn't sell, but life insurance sold a lot. That's another example. That oh, nice. Good. <laughs> that's, yep, that's a great one. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for the tweet. Uh, do we want to move on to our final topic? Sure. So uh, I guess the one, maybe this is what I was uh, thinking when we were first uh, talking about the long-term care insurance and, and I guess kind of pivoting right back into how advisors are compensated. Um, 
I was just uh, making the comment that you know all four of us are, are fee-only advisors, so we are only paid directly from the clients that we serve. Uh, and we did, you know, obviously we do this in attempt to try to remain unbiased and to do the best advice for or give the best advice for our clients. But was wondering if uh, uh, you guys had a, a. So we're doing this as working with as fee-only advisors specifically to remain unbiased and to sit on the same table, table, uh, same side of the table as our clients, and try to remain, uh, you know, as much as we can, uh, just as uh, their fiduciary advisor. And when I what I was saying when we were talking about buying these expensive policies and there's there's huge payouts with the as, as commission to the advisor. Um, and a lot of policies are going to pay somebody, even if it's not us and we're the one doing all the research and the recommendations, we have made a vow basically to not accept commissions. Uh, but it's just, it's too bad because the client is paying us for our advice. And then the client's also paying for this expensive policy. And there's this huge paycheck that the company is willing to give out to someone who sold the policy. And what I'd love a world to see is either number one, that we could either accept the commission and then reduce the fee dollar for dollar uh, and, and to make the, the engagement for the client cheaper. Now, obviously, then you start to get into, well, then maybe I'm going to recommend the more expensive product and we can go around in circles all day long there. Um, and I think that's probably a, a, an argument that a hybrid advisor that says, hey, I'm a fiduciary on one hand, but I also sell products on the other. And this is why I do it. Um, I think the best of both worlds would be uh, a, an insurance company to come out and say, all right, we are actually going to make a product that works and functions with the exact same uh, level of security as these other products, but we are able to make it cheaper as a premium cost to the client because we do not pay out this you know, X percent commission to the advisor and the way that they're compensated is however you and your advisor are working that out whether it's hourly or project or bundled in the AUM whatever the case is um, that's I'm just waiting for that day so again we can be uh, you know quote unquote selling this stuff or recommending this stuff uh, and being able to execute it without having to get a third party involved and that person's now being compensated and so many other issues go in with that so big big topic there a lot being said, a lot to unpack, but go. <laughs> I mean, of course, I would love it if we were able to help our clients purchase fee-only versions of long-term care products or whatever, zero-commission versions, because I think that would just be savings that they would be able to acquire. And I hate the idea that they have to pay me for advice to make sure that they're getting non-biased advice. Then they have to go to a life insurance or long-term care insurance salesperson and pay that person a commission to get the product. When we, you know, theoretically know that the product meets the client's qualifications, mm -hmm. right? So that, that seems like a whole lot of money that has to change hands for one transaction to happen. So of course I'd be a fan of, of no commission versions of these products, but they're not asking me my opinion when they're building them. So. And there are there is a company that is trying to do this in Louisville, Kentucky, DPL. I'll throw their name out. I just they're struggling, I think, to get the insurance companies, so the the end companies creating the products to fall in line because there's so much money and so many businesses built on those commissions. Mm -hmm. So how do you change an industry when there's zero incentive to change it? 
the other thing that, that we can do is, you know, the fee-only community or anyone, whether it's auto insurance, anything, just go to a third-party firm, regardless of whether they're getting paid a commission on the product, they at least have access to multiple because then you have people that are beholden to one uh, company or one product and all of a sudden that term is leaving me. But there's a big difference there as well. Captive. Thank you. Captive agent. That's the word I wanted. Captive. Because no one likes to be held captive and I've just never understood the whole captive model um, because typically those products are going to give you an, an additional bump as far as commissions. But yeah, like there is serious money in the commissions of insurance. So I talked about long-term care. One of the solutions that in the previous life I knew about was 7% of whatever that dollar amount is. That's a lot of money. Or, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different things. But yeah, you want the efficiency of the money to be there. They shouldn't have to pay for something and then pay for something again. It should just be pay for it, lower the cost or lower the premiums going in and down the road we go and we'll get there it'll take time it's finally happened uh, with yeah. uh with at well, you know investments you know etfs mutual funds things like that you can virtually get them for free on tons of different platforms on your phone you know when when is this going to happen for insurance well i think oh no <laughs> yeah as i say, i think it's coming i just think you know you've got this old model there's a lot of uh, you know, salespeople that are still out there, they, you know, the insurance company can't completely flip it. And I do think from the insurance perspective, yes, there are independent brokers out there, you know, insurance brokers that can do this. Um, but from the actual insurance company's perspective, they need to figure out how do they incentivize um, producers to get their product in front of a client. And so I think there's, that is part of the pushback. Um, so what type of, you know, does it become like a uh, investment world where, you know, there's three or four really big houses out there that are providing service, almost providing like information to advisors for free um, to get them to use their products. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably coming. Um, but again, you know, as a, as a CPA myself, like I don't do a ton of tax returns. I still do tax planning. So I've already some of that stuff has been decoupled. Um, and, you know, I still do tax planning, tax uh, projections um, and still allow people to, you know, have a tax preparer. So. Um, I think there'll be some of that where, hey, there needs to be something like those insurance companies or somebody needs to get compensated to um, service those plans. Like there's still paperwork that needs to be done. There's still questions. There's still people that are experts in those areas. So I don't think it can go away. I just think you're, you know, Colin, to your point, like that's going to start to that advice piece in terms of what is the best one is just going to be, you, you know, maybe you just hire somebody and you agree on whatever that price is to find you the best plan for blockchain you. or maybe no plan yeah blockchain <laughs> well, answer I, everything I, I think the piece that'll finally move the insurance industry in this direction is a lot of the like algorithmic underwriting and stuff that has gone into insurance policies because one of the reasons that insurance agents originally existed wasn't just to sell the products it was to protect the insurance companies from people who weren't good applicants, right? Because they could verify at least to some degree that these people were telling the truth on the applications. Yeah, they're well, gatekeepers. Right, with algorithmic underwriting, they're gonna get this data and it's processed almost entirely as long as you meet certain qualifications by computers. You really don't have as much risk if you're viewing larger pools of 40 year olds as you are if you're viewing larger pools of 60 year olds right and so some of some of the data will 
um, will be easier to process and therefore require less work on the side of the agent, which means that maybe there's less of a commission that needs to be paid. So does anybody so, think it becomes like auto insurance or is it just we're all familiar with auto insurance? Everybody, basically everybody needs it. We're all pretty familiar with it, whereas not everyone's buying long-term care. So you still need an agent to provide advice. I mean, I advice. think... I think I think auto and home have a distinct advantage, which is that they're legally required. Right. So, so it's a little bit it's of a compulsory. different model, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. All good points, gentlemen. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it'll be interesting to see when commissions are uh, removed from the industry, if that happens. But to Isaiah's point, there is a ton of framework built on the back of the money that flows out of insurance policies. So it's probably going to take a lot of time for that to change if it does. Now, aren't there other countries that are already doing this? Like, isn't Australia and England and some of these others kind of not true? I don't know. All I know is sponsoring the Rose Bowl is not free, so. Right. <laughs> All right, guys, I think this is a good place for us to wrap up for this week. Um, sponsoring the Rose Bowl is not free. Any other closing <laughs> thoughts? Great. <laughs> My only closing thought is that I think long-term care insurance is one of the least understood most important things in the financial industry right now so if you guys have questions about that kind of stuff don't forget to ask somebody who's a financial professional there's a lot that you should care about there i think that's a great place to wrap up thank you everyone for tuning in Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.